How are you doing today? Good. Super chickity wow. How can you not be chickity wow after praising the Lord the way we have? It's just amazing that we can be together this morning. I'm just uh, privileged to be here with you today. And it's a double privilege for me because uh, we've been in Chilliwack for a year. And it's the very first time we come to Promontory. And we were just looking forward to it for so long. And uh, I just praise the Lord for that privilege. And it's a double privilege for me because uh, over a decade and a half ago, I used to serve the Lord next to your pastor's dad. And now I get the privilege to serve the Lord next to this wonderful man. And I'm just so blessed. And, and I'm, I knew you were blessed as well. Uh, so thank you for being here today. Uh, we're going to continue on uh, our series in the book of Acts. But before we read the text, I want to ask you a very simple question. Uh, you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think in the answer to this question. Do you really trust God? I mean, do you really, really believe that God is protecting you? That he has in mind your best interests at all times so that you can live a worry-free, anxiety-free, content, trusting life, trusting in God's providential care for your life, always. You see, the problem with many of us is that we have learned the Christian jargon, and uh, we recite by memory, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of dead, I will fear no evil for you are with me. But then we get anxious about the doctor's appointment. We see people laid off at work and we begin to be concerned whether the next person is going to be myself. We uh, find out that our close friends are passing away and we begin to wonder whether we're next. Or we find people buying property all over the place like it was candies. And then we are fearful that someday the, the bubble's going to burst and our house is going to be worthless overnight. And all these little things creep into our minds and truly put to test whether we really trust God. That's why the title of my sermon might seem like business as usual for many of you. Protected by God. Hope. Oh. Of course, I know I'm protected by God. Come on. But as we read the text today, and as we dive into the very words of God, my prayer is that the reality of God's protection and care for your life will be so tangible that you would leave this place with the assurance that only the Holy Spirit can steal in our hearts this morning. So with this in mind, let us read together from the book of Acts, chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. So let us stand together for the reading of God's word. It says, about, the time, about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, 
Peter was slipping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Rub your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. Verses 11. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice in her joy. She did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. So far as reading God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we pray that your Holy Spirit will touch our hearts and our lives, and that we will be transformed by your word, that today each one of us, as we go back home, we will be just transformed and trusting and knowing you better for what you do and for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. This is an amazing story of God's deliverance. There is so much in this few verses. But I want to talk to you about three different points with the help of the Holy Spirit. And those are number one, when you are helpless, you are not hopeless. Number two, wait for God's unexpected response. And number three, recognize and share His majesty. Why am I saying that when you are helpless, you are not hopeless. Think for a minute of what we just read here. It begins by telling us that the king is against the newborn church. We just heard last week that the church was unstoppable. It was blooming in Antioch. People were coming to the feet of Christ. Jews and Gentiles alike were bringing their... Uh, their faith, they were bringing their hearts to the Lord's feet and believing in Jesus and hearing the gospel for the very first time. Hundreds of new converts. And then, out of nowhere, this powerful king laid a violent hand on those who belonged to the church. Now, just to give you an idea about the kind of person this king was, his father, Aristobulus, was killed by his own father, Herod the Great who was the guy who sent uh, uh, to, to uh, murder all the little babies at Jesus' time when he was born. This guy, Herod, the grandson of Herod the Great, was buddies with Caligula, who was a ruthless emperor at the time. And he was the one who actually appointed him to be the ruler over Palestine. And what am I telling you all these things? Well, just 
to show you that this guy's life was filled with murder, intrigue, politics, selfish ambition, whatnot. He was a Jew by race, but he just acted according to whatever served him best. He would act in favor of the Jews sometimes, but mostly he would act in favor of his own accord and his own desires. So when the Jews complained about James, Herod killed him with a sword because the Mishnah or the oral tradition of the Jews dictated that an apostate should be killed by a sword. So Herod did it that way. And verse 3 says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. I want you to picture that these guys, I want you to picture what they are going through. And what the church is going through as a whole. Suddenly, the most powerful man in the land grabs James and kills him. No one can do anything about it. He's the king. He can do whatever he pleases. Now James, if you know your Bible well, he was John's brother, as we read. But he was part of the closest three disciples to our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, John, and James were the only ones permitted to be at Jairus' daughter resurrection. Peter, John, and James were the only ones at the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, John, and James were the only ones at Gethsemane with the Lord. For some reason, they were the three most prominent leaders of the group, and now James is dead. And he experienced an awful execution. But that's not the end of the story. Now Herod got a taste for it. And now he is going after Peter, another leader of the church. And he's got him. And most likely, he's going to kill him. And if that wasn't... We are reminded that all this happened during the Passover season. And they know that during that season in the past, their Lord was horrifically crucified. Peter is in prison because executions were not permitted during Passover. But as soon as it was done, there was no doubt about it. That they were going to have a phony trial to find him guilty and kill him. That was natural. That's what was expected. And Peter would join James in that. The arm of the state is against your brother. And there's nothing you can do. And that's why I said, when you are helpless, who can do anything about it? I mean, if you risk to go and talk to the government, you could probably end up in prison and killed yourself. There's nothing you can do. How many situations you face on a daily basis where everything seems to explode before your own eyes? And you are helpless. But you are not hopeless. You are not hopeless and neither were them. As weak as they may seem, they resorted to the only thing they could do. Did you read that? They prayed. Verse 5 tells us that earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Do you know what earnest prayer means? 
It's the kind of prayer you pray when the phone rings in the middle of the night to tell you that a loved one was in an accident and he's fighting for his life. And you pray the heavens open for that person and you, you, you beg to the Lord and you, you you're in supplication saying, Lord, please spare his life. The kind of prayer a mother prays for his stranded son. That he would come to the feet of Christ and, and he would leave his sinful ways. That he will turn to God and cling to the amazing love of our Savior. An earnest prayer, an agonizing prayer, a supplication from the bottom of the heart. Those who don't understand prayer would mock you for sure. Yeah, you know, what good is to pray now? You should have prayed before he got arrested, but now he's arrested. It's like, it's a done deal. Pray. You should do something else. Now it's too late. Hmm. Or is it? You know, I love when God does things like this at a quarter to 12, you know, last minute things. Verse 6 says, now when Herod was about to bring him out, about to bring him out. It says, that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were in prison. Don't you love that? This guy is about to get killed, and he's sleeping. I mean, I mean you know, he's, he's going to be pulled out, and have a, Herod's going to summon him for a Mickey Mouse trial, And Peter is sound asleep. How can you be sleeping at something like this? That's nuts. I'll tell you how when you truly understand God's providential care. When you truly trust God, you can be sleeping in the middle of a storm like Jesus was in that boat. You can sleep chained to two soldiers awaiting your execution because you know God. You see, I don't know what has happened to the church that we read God's wonders in the Bible and we think they're a nice story for Sunday school children. Those things were written for us. They were written to them, but they were written for us that we may know God that we would understand his power and his love, that we would trust a Savior who was willing to part the sea so that his people would walk on dry land. These are not children's stories. Like my wife said in a video, the, the, the kid that killed the giant, or those guys who bravely stood into the fiery furnace. These are the evidences of a God that is near These are God's demonstration of who He is so that we would believe in Him and that we would rely on Him. Are you there? Peter knows the God of the Bible. And that is why he writes these words in his first letter in 1 Peter 4.12. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory 
and of God rests upon you. We can definitely tell it's resting Peter. He's totally and utterly asleep. The Bible doesn't tell us if he had any insight of what's about to happen. His response of surprise, it's obviously that he was the first surprised at all of this ordeal. So number one, remember, when you are helpless, you are not hopeless. People spring for Peter. And I'm sure he prayed and he shared the gospel with his captors. And then he went to sleep. Number two, wait for God's unexpected response. You see, the church is praying. They are at John Mark's mother's house, who will later write the Gospel of Mark, a young lad that Peter took under his arm, and he discipled him, and who was later uh, in the first missionary trip with Paul and Barnabas, who actually was his cousin. And you see, I tell you all this because it's fascinating to me how the writers of the New Testament gives us names and places. And they were writing to their own generation, people. So people who were reading these letters, they could say, oh, Barnabas. Oh, John Mark. Oh, Alexander of Cyrene. Oh, I know where Cyrene. Oh, I know Alexander. And they could go and talk to these people and hear these stories firsthand. Evidence after evidence after evidence of God's faithfulness, and yet we doubt. What are they earnestly praying? The Bible doesn't tell us, but I think it's safe to assume they're praying for protection. That God would spare Peter's life, perhaps. They were praying that God would give him the courage to die a proper death. Or that... You know, he would witness around him for the glory of Christ. I'm sure that if any of us were there, we would probably pray something like, Lord, you know, you delivered Daniel from the den of lions. Would you please, Lord, deliver Peter from this uh, coming death, from Herod? Whatever they were praying, Peter was in jail. And not with one, but two soldiers. You know, in the time, you would only have one soldier. That was the usual. But it's unusual for Peter that he had four soldiers who rotated every three hours to guard him. Another squad of another four soldiers. He's heavily chained, chains, as we read. Sentries at the door. I mean, Peter is held as a terrorist. The worst, most dangerous man on earth, right? But this is what I mean. By wait for God's unexpected response. An angel of the Lord shows up. There's this bright light in the cell. And Peter is still sleeping. <laughs> so the angel has to poke him. Literally says that he stroke Peter on the side. Get up quickly. The chains fall off his hands. And Peter is so drowsy that the angel has pretty much to help him dressed. <laughs> I mean, I can picture Peter putting the sandals on the wrong feet, on the wrong foot, you know, like when my kids were little and they were rushing to school and we're like, come on, you're going to be late. And they're, you know, kind of putting the right shoe on the left foot and it's just a big mess. You've probably been there. The angel says, dress yourself and put on your sandals. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter had no clue what was going on. Whether this was a vision, 
or if it was really happening. They would ride through the first guard unseen. They would ride through the second guard unseen. And wait for this, because we're talking about first century people. As they come to the iron gate, I mean the iron gate. Picture those massive, heavy, fortress-like gates, okay? They walk to it, and the gate opens by itself automatically. There you have the legion of Rome, the power of Herod against Peter and the church. And all it took was just one single angel to protect and deliver Peter from his prison. Now, why would God do something like this? You know, as I read this story, I was reminded of the story in 2 Kings 6 when uh, the king of Syria is warring against Israel. And whatever designs and plans he makes to fight against the Israelites, he gets discovered. You know, he's, he's making this plot to corner them somewhere and, and his army comes, but uh, the Israelites are not there. Or they find a place that is, uh, you know, is weak and they say, oh, we're going we're gonna to attack that place over there. And somehow Israel suddenly reinforces that place. And this king is concerned. He says, what's going on? Maybe there's a mole amongst us. Uh, maybe they have some CIA kind of spice between our crew here. And one of his friends says, no, 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 king. I'll tell you what's happening. They have Elisha, the prophet. And whatever you speak, even in your private chambers, he knows. And he tells the king of Israel. So this guy says, well, where's Elisha? And he finds out that he is in a city called Dothan. And he sends horses and chariots and a great army. They come during the night. They surround the city. They're ready to get Elisha. Early in the morning, Elisha's servant comes out. I don't know if he was a Starbucks guy, a Tim Hortons guy, or whatever, but he was early out. And he's out there, and he sees this army of horses and chariots all around the city. Listen to what he said. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says to him, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. You can picture this servant's face. It's like, what are you talking about? Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. I mean, with us, it's just two, it's just you and me. Those, I mean, that's an army. What are you talking? Have you lost your marbles, Elisha? What's wrong with you, man? And Elisha prayed and said, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. For a moment, the Lord removed the curtain so that the servant would have a glimpse of the spiritual realm all around them, all the mountain with myriads and myriads of God's angels ready to do God's bidding. We go on with our lives, unaware of the realities of God's care and protection. It even took a while for Peter to realize what was going on, that it was a rescue operation by the God Almighty. He runs to his brothers to tell them the news. 
And what happens, I'm sure it's been told over the centuries as the, as the most funny episode in the Bible, the most funny story ever in the Bible. Peter knocks at the door. Remember, he's fleeing from prison. He really needs to get in. But Rhoda, the servant girl, comes and she recognizes its voice. Uh, it's Peter's voice. And she runs back to tell everybody, but he, she didn't open the door. And Peter's out there, and she goes, hey, guys, it's Peter. It's right here. Now, remember, everybody was praying for Peter. But when God answered their prayers, they disregarded. They disregarded it. They disbelieved it. Listen to what they said. Verse 15. You're out of your mind. And the girl is insisting, truly, truly, it's Peter. Come, look. She's like, no, no, no. It's his angel. In other words, his spirit. He's dead. And meanwhile, Peter's knocking at the door. Let me in. I'm out here, guys. And this is why I tell you to wait for God's unexpected response. How many times are we praying, Lord, if this is not your will, please close the doors. And the doors get closed and you continue trying to break in through the window, right? You know what I mean. We must learn to trust God and wait for the unexpected response. You know, sometimes it will be, my grace is sufficient to, for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Other times he will miraculously revert a diagnosis or allow some hardship in those people you're praying for that they would come to Christ so that through the brokenness, their last defenses would crumble and they finally would come and humble themselves before our Lord. You see, the church in Jerusalem needed to be reacquainted with God's power and provision for their lives. And sometimes I wonder if you and I need to start believing God. Not believing in God, but believing Him. Believing what He has said. You see, the one time Jesus marveled at someone was when the centurion's servant was about to die. And Jesus said, you know what? Yeah, I'll go and heal him. And this man says, no, 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 Lord. You just say the word and he'll be healed. I am not worthy that you would come under my roof. The Bible says that Jesus was marveled at this man's faith. He even said that in all Israel, he haven't found a faith like that. A centurion, a Roman soldier that trusted him. You see, God loves when we trust him. When we believe. When we honor his power. When we honor his character, his grace, his mercy. He is a giving God. He is an involved God. He is a loving father. I'm sure you've heard miraculous stories of God's intervention in the life of his people. Perhaps you have your own stories of God intervening in your life. Things that God has used to grow your faith and realize that we have a living God who listens and responds to our prayers. You know, working with the persecuted church, sisters and brothers persecuted in countries like China, and Cuba, and Vietnam, and North Africa. I can tell you hundreds of stories of God's deliverance in amazing ways. I can tell you 
tens of stories in my own life that God has used to grow our family in the faith. And you know what the common denominator was? It has been to trust God. Yes, like David who stepped up in faith, outraged that the people of, God, of Israel would do nothing against those heathen Philistines that were mocking God's name. And yes, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who didn't know whether or not God was going to spare them, and yet they walked into that fiery place because they will just not compromise. All it takes, I believe, is to really get acquainted with God. To follow closely how He has chosen to reveal Himself in the passages, in the pages of the Bible. So that we would know Him better. So that we would love Him better. So that we would trust Him better. And finally, number three, we will recognize and share His majesty. You see, it took Peter some time to realize what God did. But as soon as he did, he went to the church and tell the brothers. And he asked them to tell James, the Lord's brother, and the rest of the church. They could have just kept it for themselves, you know, a nice experience. But when we, when you share the stories of God in your life, you are recognizing his work in your life, and you are exalting his name. We all have different experiences in life. And you see, we have a wide variety of gifts right in this room. Some of you have suffered immensely. Others, not so much. Yet some others will experience a wide variety of circumstances. But we could all benefit. We should all benefit by the shaping of God in each one's, each, each other's lives. When something great happens in your life, what's your first response? Do you run to your brothers and sisters in the faith and share with them the glorious things that God is doing? What a family we are. When did we become so served as per not to share God's doing in our midst? Hey, you know what? Thank you for praying for me. I would no longer raise my voice for my wife. It's been months since God has helped me have self-control. And I'm so thankful for what God has done. Yeah, but if you're not open to share that, if you're, no, if you're not vulnerable to anybody, who's going to be praying for you? Well, you know, I don't know if I want to be vulnerable. You know, people's going to think things about me. You know, what are they going to say about me? What are they going to say about me? They're going to say that I am a... What? A sinner? I got news for you. Jesus came for sinners, brother. And if we say we are not sinners, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. That's First John. Be a brother, be a sister, be that person that counts on the family of God and be also that person that is dependable upon. That person that, that people can count on you. We are the family of God. We are the church. You are the church. 
Are you there? In closing, let me go back to Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Who is you? The one who created everything by the command of his voice. The one who inclined to me and heard my cry. The one who drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. The one that put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. The God that saves me. The God that protects me. Amen. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? Oh God, you are an amazing God. We love you, God, for your word. We love you for your salvation. We love you for your son, Jesus. We love you for who you are. And we praise your name this morning. And we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. That you are an approachable father. And that we can come to you in prayer and supplication. And that you have an attentive ear to your children. Father, what a privilege it is that we are allowed an audience with the Almighty, the creator of everything that there is, the most powerful being in the whole universe. And that you would not just only listen to us and hear us, but that you would respond in mercy and grace according to your will. Oh Lord, that we would just approach you boldly as your Bible says in Hebrews. That we just come forth and get to know you better and trust you. That you would be blessed by our trust. And that you would rejoice. And that you would marvel at those of your children who truly abandoned themselves to your arms. Thank you, God, for we are secure in your hands forever. Amen.